So as we turn to Matthew chapter 5, let's also turn to God uh, in prayer. Do you flick up the passage on your phone or on your Connect card? Our Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word now, we ask for your help. Uh, the Bible is the word you spoke to your people. And still here today at Darabin, you speak to us through what you spoke then. Uh, please would you speak clearly to our hearts and to our minds. Uh, please teach us, correct us, rebuke us and train us in righteousness. And we do ask this that we might live changed lives to the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. So 2016 was called the year of fake news. Uh, whether on Facebook, Snapchat or Twitter, it is everywhere. There's hoaxes and propaganda and disinformation. Uh, some stories are funny, uh, some are malicious, uh, some are clearly there to deceive for profit or for political gain. And it works, doesn't it? Uh, political talk's always been corrupt. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, in, or 30 years ago, in the UK, we had the famous spycatcher trial, which did drag in the Aussies as well. And the Britain's cabinet secretary spoke of being economical with the truth. Others spoke of bending the truth at the time. But in 2017, the scale is different. There are 1.8 billion users on Facebook, and disinformation and fake news can spread globally in minutes. Uh, and so last year, Brexit uh, in UK was decided on the narrowest of margins, and misinformation played a huge part in that. Uh, this year, it's the White House, which has become the home of alternative facts. In fact, something Trump has called truthful hyperbole, and in his book, apparently, he says that this is an innocent form of exaggeration and a very effective form of promotion. I'm sure it is. But I don't want to make a political point, but to ask a question. How is it that we as a society tolerate this? During my short lifetime, there's been several major shifts in, uh, in our culture, and particularly concepts of truth and absolute right and wrong have lost currency. In a world where nothing you read can be trusted today, um, many people simply ignore the facts because nobody really knows what's true. Philosophers like Greg Kukul say now that things aren't true or false, they're simply pleasant or unpleasant, uh, appealing or unappealing, liked or disliked. So in this post-truth society, uh, when we can't agree on basic facts, or even that there are such things as facts, people say, well, how can we talk to each other? So in today's passage, uh, Jesus says that this matters. This matters because deceit isn't just a problem out there in the White House, but it's a problem in here, uh, in your life and in mine. In today's passage, Jesus points to subtle deceit, which touches so many areas of our lives. Uh, and he questions our integrity, whether it's in our work lives or uh, whether it's in our daily speech, those little white lies that we tell, uh, when we say we're just trying to protect others, the half-truths and, and our casual attitudes to commitment. Uh, which can mar our closest relationships. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know have been looking through um, the most famous speech ever made, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's not a list of do's and don'ts that we need to keep if we're going to try and get right with God. It's often misunderstood as that. But uh, Jesus is not saying if we just try and pull our socks up, we'll be good enough for God. Now, in verse 1, we were told that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, uh, to people who are already his followers. Uh, they've been accepted by him. And so he started with that uh, huge reassurance in verse 3. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To people who realize that they're unable to work their way to God by trying to be good, people who've already accepted that they're spiritually bankrupt when they compare themselves with God's perfect standards. People who follow Jesus as their only hope of salvation, these people are already blessed because they've already become citizens of God's kingdom. So the question in today's passage here isn't, um, how can I get right with God? But if I am a follower of Jesus, what does Jesus as the king of that kingdom demand of me? What difference will following Jesus make to my life? So if that's you, which I hope it is, then listen up. And Jesus' message to you today is this. As followers of Jesus, the truth, be people of truth who can always be trusted and taken at our word. I said again, as followers of Jesus, the truth, be people of truth who can always be taken at your word. Uh, now, perhaps you wouldn't yet call yourself a follower of Jesus. Well, like the crowds overhearing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you're very welcome. So do listen in today to what it means to discover the truth, the truth that can set you free. We're going to look at uh, four points, and the first is this. What does Jesus have to say about the issue of truth and integrity? Well, firstly, he says, uh, Jesus points out the standards of the world. (coughs) Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you've made to the Lord. Verse 34 doesn't sound too bad, does it? It's not a direct quote from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, but it is a summary of what society had to say about truth. And it's actually quite a fair summary of Old Testament teaching. Uh, Passages like Leviticus 19, verse 2, which say, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane my name. Or Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So to make a vow or to swear an oath was to make a solemn declaration invoking the name of some god to confirm your honesty. That was how people of the day showed that they were trying to be honest and keep a commitment. And it was how they make legal contracts. But there's a catch. Look, says Jesus, the world claims to be truthful, but then it qualifies quite how truthful it's going to be to suit its own ends. And so truth claims can never really be trusted. You see, the Old Testament law of Moses was governed by rules, which were external regulations and laws. Laws you had to keep, but they never dealt with the inside issue of our sinful hearts. They were laws. They could never transform our hearts. Jews could only make a vow using God's name. So the law demanded that if they were to make a name, it had to be using God's name and you had to keep it. Otherwise, they'd be breaking the third commandment, which says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So, what did society do? Did the people become a nation which prized truth highly, where one man's word could be trusted? Oh no, they took the much easier way out. Instead, they created a whole industry of lawyers who could work out complex legal loopholes. The thinking was brilliant. Because they weren't allowed to swear by other gods' names, they invented a whole load of other objects that they could swear by instead. 
if you chose a good religious object, then it would sound particularly holy and religious and, and trustworthy, and you could make it more authentic and convincing. But the best bit was if you chose the right object, you wouldn't actually have to keep your word at all. Uh, and you'd never break that third commandment. Let me read to you from Matthew 23. This is what Jesus had to say to the lawyers of, of the day. And I'm sorry to Adam and any other lawyers here. But he says, Woe to you, blind guides! If you say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the, that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if he swears by the gift on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. You see, the Pharisees thought they'd found a way of making promises which didn't invoke God's name and so weren't binding. And if you had the money, uh, no matter what promise or legal contracts you made, you could buy a lawyer who would get you out of having to... Uh, well, you could run rings around those who couldn't afford those sort of lawyers. It was like an adult game of fingers crossed. Do you remember that one in the school playground? You would uh, make a promise to a friend. You'd say something like, cross my heart, hope to die, uh, and, uh, or swear on your mother's grave. But then when you let your friend down, you'd say, well, actually, I'd had my fingers crossed or my, my toes crossed at the time when I made it. So it never counted. But the effects of this went well beyond the law courts. That poisonous thinking ran through the whole of society. I wonder if you've ever lived in a society where truth is not valued. Um, I spent time in Nepal where I knew I couldn't trust people giving me directions because if they didn't know the direction, they'd give you some, you know, some directions anyway. And it was your stupid fault if you took them seriously. Uh, in Russia, where I was told that the idea you'd expect to tell the, a doctor to tell you the truth was foreign. Uh, or here in Australia, our friends weren't able to move back into their own home in Sydney because their tenants were refusing to move out, despite the commitments they'd made and the contracts they'd signed. Or, or maybe it's just the way that we as parents sometimes put off our children's demands with some threat or half-promise which we know we're never going to follow through. Okay, Tim, I hear you say. Uh, but what's that got to do with me? Well, I wonder how much uh, you and I join in with this. Don't we too make commitments and then fail to follow through on them? Uh, Naomi will tell you that that's a big failing of mine. The commitments I make are those which I would like to be able to make, not necessarily those that I'm really going to be able to do. Uh, and it's so easy now to backtrack, isn't it, with our mobile phones. We say yes to an invitation, but I think, well, I can always text out at the last minute. I had a great friend at uh, university called Rick, and he would, I'd ask him around, he'd always say, yes, Tim, definitely, maybe. Uh, <laughs> And in the 90s, there was an, even a pop group called Oasis who had an album called Definitely Maybe. Uh, now the phrase is, is Starbo, isn't it? Uh, subject to a better offer. Uh, and that goes as much for our commitments in marriage as it does to turning up at a party. Perhaps we're dating, but we can't decide if we'll stick or if we might actually find a better offer around the corner. And maybe the way we carry on lends a bit more commitment than we really mean to uh, communicate. Maybe circumstances change. Perhaps we're married, and those vows we made quite a few years ago now, uh, maybe circumstances have changed 
and it's hard to keep them. Or maybe it's how we handle contracts or, or rules in the workplace or with our landlord or, or buying a house. So today let's ask ourselves, how much have I conformed to the standards of the world around me? Second, let's hear what Jesus says of the standards of his kingdom. Jesus commands his followers simply to speak the truth always. People used to keeping those external laws. Jesus gives a radically higher standard of righteousness. Look, he says, it's nonsense to have different standards of truth. He says, but I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. You cannot even make one hair white or black. Hear how Jesus talks. He's speaking here of incredible authority. Authority which belongs to God alone. Yes, you've got Moses in the Old Testament, but I am going to give you a new law, a new covenant. As the real king, this is what's going to count in my kingdom. And Jesus says you can't get away with saying some oaths which don't matter. If you swear by heaven, well, that belongs to God, just as much as the earth does or Jerusalem. There isn't one square centimetre in all creation which doesn't belong to our almighty heavenly Father. So every word we speak uh, is spoken in the hearing of God. And so every commitment we break is broken in the hearing of God our Father. Hebrews 4 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we will give account. Uh, and yes, circumstances might change. Uh, so we should be very careful what we commit to. Uh, we don't have sovereignty over the future, not even over our own head. That's been made by God and it's under his authority. I can't choose the colour of my hair. I might disguise it with a bit of Willa or Vidal Sassoon. But every hair follicle has the genes which God has selected for my hair colour. And you see, in some way, God stands behind everything that happens. Uh, so no oath is trivial. All oaths are solemn pledges to speak the truth, made before someone to whom you and I are going to have to give account one day. We can't say uh, there's some additional qualification to our truth. We can't say, I, I didn't really mean it. Uh, I hadn't signed the contract. Uh, we didn't exchange. I wasn't serious. I was only joking. Uh, hadn't you read the small print? I was reading the small print uh, this week on a contract. They slipped an extra £500 bill into my estate agent's fees. I rang them up and said, oh, we didn't mean to be in there. I just cross it out. I crossed it out, sent it back to the estate agent, and they send it back to me, and they stuck it back in again. <laughs> anyway, so what's Jesus saying about this to me? One of the first things I'm going to have to do when I return to UK is turn over to magistrate's court and make what's called a statutory declaration. Some Christians have taken what Jesus says here as an absolute ban or making oaths in court. Uh, I can sympathise with that, but I think it's missing Jesus' point. Deuteronomy 10 permits Jews to make oaths in God's name. But Paul does it regularly in his letters. Jesus himself is put under oath at his trial. Uh, you can check that out in Hebrews 6. Now, the real issue here is truthfulness. Jesus' point isn't that oaths are evil, but that our motivation for making them is. If you're a follower of Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, then how we speak matters. 
Jesus wants us to speak truthfully all the time. You soon get to know how reliable people are, don't you? You turn up at the meeting on Monday, 12 o'clock, and the same person's missing. And people say, oh, don't worry about waiting for them. They never turn up. They never keep their word or their commitment. Uh, but you see, people judge us by our words, the little words all the time. People know if we're reliable or, or if we're not people who keep our words. Um, so we can't say things which will make our truth more convincing. Oh, this time I really mean it. Jesus says, simply let your yes be yes. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And if it's not a commitment you feel you can make, then we can always say no. But if we do, then don't try to go back on it at the last minute. Our people will judge us on the truthfulness of our daily words. If we're known as straight-talking in the small things of life, then people will trust what we're saying when we're talking about our witness to God our Father. Are we people at work who are known for our integrity? People whose words can actually be trusted. In my first few weeks at uni, um, a friend uh, asked me to sign him in for a practical class that he was going to miss. Um, it mattered to him because if he missed this one, he'd have missed so many in the course, he'd have had to retake the course. It mattered to me because in my first term at university, I didn't have any friends. And I'd said yes because I couldn't think of how to say no to him. And I wanted to keep that friendship because we talked a bit about Jesus and I thought it would be great for witness. And he was interested in what I'd said. But at CU, we happened to be studying the Sermon on the Mount that term. And I felt convicted. And I wrestled this. In the end, I went round to his room and I knocked on his door. And I exclaimed as a Christian, I couldn't lie by putting my signature against something false. Uh, I can still remember his response. It didn't go down well. Uh, Tim, you Christians, you're all the same. You just want to keep your hands clean. Close the door. End of friendship. But I think I made the right call that day. It's made it easier later on uh, in some ways. But maybe you're in a workplace where being truthful isn't easy. Uh, it won't go down well with your boss and it could cause trouble for your colleagues. Uh, maybe you're going through some commitments you've made which is going to be costly for you. Uh, a few words from Psalm 15 says... Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is right, who speaks truth from their hearts, and who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Will we ask God to help us to be truthful to our words, even when it's not convenient? And truthful in our daily conversations. I don't know if you're like me, you're tempted to exaggerate a bit, to put a spin on a story which puts us in a slightly better light or makes, us, uh, makes our point better. Jesus has appointed me to be a truthful witness to him. And when I'm not truthful, I'm a bad witness and I dishonour his name. And so I ask myself, why do I so often fall short of Jesus' standards here? Where does this deceit in me come from? So thirdly, Jesus points to the source of deceit. Verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus says, dishonesty always has as its root evil idolatry. Worshipping not Jesus, but a father of lies. I wonder if that sounds a bit far out. Well, not really. If we've been listening to Jesus time and again in the Sermon on the Mount, he's given us just two choices. We're either in his kingdom or we're out of it. 
called great in the kingdom or called least in the kingdom? Treasure in heaven or treasure on earth? Being, dealing with sin or being thrown into hell? The narrow gates or the wide gate? The house on the rock or the house on the sand? Here we either worship Jesus by speaking with his truth or using deceitful words which give honour to the evil one. Why is it we don't live Jesus' way? Um, I'd like to give an illustration which doesn't reflect well on me, um, but I think as pastors we're called to be honest. Uh, as a junior doctor, I was involved in a clinical trial, and I was supplied a batch of medicine which was out of date. Uh, that shouldn't have happened, but I didn't spot the error until uh, I'd given it to quite a few people. Uh, that was bad enough, particularly in a clinical trial. Uh, now, what I should have done at that point was straightforward enough and would have involved telling my mistake to a lot of people uh, and that would have been embarrassing. But I knew that there wouldn't be any untoward consequences of this particular mistake. And I found it hard to tell my boss what had happened. Uh, it would have been a disaster for the trial and for my standing with my boss and highly embarrassing. Would you believe it? I kept quiet. But of course, the truth soon came out with all the consequences I had feared and it was much worse for me not having owned up promptly. It was a very hard time. I wondered about my career, our finances, our security. But you know, the worst aspect of it, by far, was the fact that I was known as a Christian and I knew that my lack of honesty brought dishonour to God, particularly those who knew me. Uh, and I'm still stressed by that experience now and ashamed of it. So in what way was I worshipping the evil one? It, what idols... Was I putting in place of God's ways there? Uh, there was comfort. I wanted an easy life, and I couldn't face the hassle of what owning up would have involved. There was career. Being a success was more important to me than being a faithful disciple. There was approval. I, I cared more deeply about approval from my boss, from my patients, from my colleagues, than about seeking approval from my saviour. There was control. I didn't want to give up to the chaos of what would happen. And above all, there was the idol of pride. I gave greater value to my own image than to honouring the name of the Lord. Jesus is clear. If we give any of these values, uh, any of these idols, value in place of him, then we are worshipping the source of evil, which is Satan. Uh, so perhaps you could be able to think of a situation right now where you're tempted to distort the truth or to renege on a commitment maybe in the workplace, maybe in your finances or in your marriage. Jesus is asking you, in that situation, what is your biggest idol? Or perhaps you've not yet made a commitment to follow Jesus. Do you see Jesus' implication here? When it comes even to just the simplest acts of righteousness, telling the truth, Jesus says, God's standards are far higher than we will ever achieve. And keeping the rules on the outside is never going to get us even close to the perfection that our God Almighty requires. And we only have two choices. Either we live lives day by day where we're living for the father of lies, or we're called to turn to Jesus and, uh, and follow him by speaking the truth. Turn to Jesus who came from the father, full of truth and grace. Truth, because in this world of fake news, Jesus alone reveals the identity of God the father. And he reveals the truth about the wrong in our hearts. Uh, grace, because that's the only way we can get right with God. Grace might not be a word you understand. It's simply God's generosity when he gives us a forgiveness that we don't deserve. 
God doesn't love me because I've been truthful, but because he has sent Jesus, who is the truth, and has been truthful in my place. Let's just finish now by thinking about that. Uh, Fourthly, Jesus is the source of truth. Jesus is the word of God, the truth, who frees us to live lives of truth. You see, Jesus' standards of truth are beyond us, but he himself does live up to them. Throughout Jesus' life on earth, he perfectly spoke the truth. His closest friend Peter said he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. At Jesus' trial, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And Jesus never reneged on commitments. You know, in verse 37, where it talks about what we should say, the Greek word is logos. That's the same word used to describe Jesus in John chapter 1. Jesus is the logos, the word of God. Our God is a promise-keeping God, a God who sent us his true word. 2 Corinthians tells us that all God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus promised his disciples that he would die for them, live for them, and raise them to life. He promised that they could be forgiven, that he would wash them clean from sin, that he would free them from the power of death. And you see, Jesus was more than just an example to follow. He kept those commitments, even when it hurt. He he didn't change his mind. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate at his trial at the judge who said to him, what is truth? And he endured that death for you and I, that we deserved because of our deceitfulness. It was a swap, and because he stood there in our place, God sees us as though we're people who have never deceived or broken our promises. So if you think back to that situation that you might be struggling to keep a commitment or be truthful, let's think how Jesus can free us from those idols. From the idol of comfort, Jesus frees us because Jesus gives us the comfort that... Uh, that God alone can give. He comforts us from our worries and our mourning. In heaven, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Jesus frees us from the idol of career because he's a better master for us. We're working now for the Lord and not for men. He frees us from seeking approval now because Jesus gives me approval. He calls me his friends. And we're living for that final day when he'll welcome us into his kingdom and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus frees us from the idol of pride because when we look at Jesus, we're humbled. When we see what he did for us, how can I worship myself anymore? Uh, When we look at Jesus, who humbled himself even to death on a cross for me. Shall we pray for God's help? Two Corinthians says, As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. Yes, for no matter how many promises God has made in Christ, they are yes. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your yes means yes and your no means no. So we can have every confidence as we face life and then as we face death that you will do everything you've promised, Lord. You are the word of God, the way, the truth and the life. I thank you for living that perfect life for us. Uh, Please free us from deceit. Uh, Thank you for speaking words of truth which has set us free. Uh, Please, by your spirit, free us from those idols in our lives which tempt us to follow the father of lies. Please give us the courage to do what is right. 
to speak truth from our hearts and to keep words even when it hurts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.